Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. Good morning, Jeff. How are you today? I am doing well. I just looked at the calendar and I realized that this episode is being released on Black Friday. Oh, dear. We're not going to talk about Black Friday or shopping or anything or gear at all, are we? No, not really. And I think it's funny because I don't know what it's like in the UK, but Amazon and a bunch of other stores are now doing basically November is like early Black Friday. Like like it's Black Friday for the entire month. So it doesn't really seem like it's Black November. It, yeah. 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 Black, so it doesn't really seem like like a big deal. I remember uh, one year my mom and her friend actually did the Black Friday thing. Like they went out at midnight to all the stores, like the actual physical stores, uh, did not get trampled, fortunately. It wasn't it, anything like that. But, um, you know, like it's all online now, so it's a lot easier that way. But, um, yeah, I don't think we need to contribute to that this time. No. Last year I bought a new TV for Black Friday, and I bought it like a week before Black Friday. Because the online vendor where I bought it said, if the price drops between now and Black Friday, we'll refund you the difference. Oh, nice. In other words, they knew they weren't going to change the price between now and Black Friday. Yeah, yeah, that works. So that leaves the question of what we should talk about. What should we talk about? Why don't we talk about software today? I like software. In fact, I use software a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're using software now. We use software all the time. And in fact... It's very hard to do anything with photos without using software. You can still shoot film and work in a dark room, but you will even eventually scan it at some point because you're putting it on a website or you're sending images to people if you're selling photos to see what they look like. So you still have to scan your photos. Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all software now. And especially if we're talking about uh because sometimes we are Apple focused and one of the things that has come about in the last uh, few releases, Apple has been doing a lot more just sort of miscellaneous stuff with photos, like things that you can do with your photos, not necessarily taking photos, say, with an iPhone or even editing photos, but stuff you can do with your photos because, of course, the cameras in our pockets are also lenses onto all sorts of other things, not only screenshots, but Stuff that you just take a picture of every single day. What I find refreshing, actually, I was going to say interesting, but refreshing is the fact that Apple has not made big changes to the Photos apps in several years. And I think we're in a good period where we can learn to use the little features in these apps because they're not changing the interface. They're not changing the way everything works. So this year, we have a number of small features we want to talk about. The first one I want to talk about is I was just a couple minutes late to this meeting because I was copying some text from screenshots in the Photos app. Now, this is a great new feature. The reason I was doing this is, well, we both use Twitter and Twitter is having problems right now. <laughs> and yesterday or this morning, I think I saw that some Twitter uh, engineers were tweeting, if you use two-factor authentication, don't log out of your account because you won't be able to log back in. I think Elon Musk turned off the two-factor authentication. So if you go into your security settings, you can create, you can generate login codes that you can use in if two-factor authentication isn't working. So I took 10 screenshots of 10 different codes and in the photos, I copied the text and then I put them into my password manager. Now, this is just brilliant because 
you can take a photo of anything with text. And if you're on your iPhone, you'll see if it recognizes the text, it'll show a little icon, which lets you even select the text on the iPhone before taking the photo. But you can do it in existing photos. And I don't know, you've taken a picture of a serial number on the back of a washing machine, right? That you can't view easily. This is something I had to do recently. And boom, mm -hmm. you can copy it off the photo like that. So this is a great feature for copying text from books, take a photo of a page and copy text, um, copying serial numbers, copying Twitter codes, anything that has text, as long as the photo's sharp, Photos is really good about selecting the text and getting it right. Yeah. And this is something that I think many people might run into without realizing it because it's, it's sort of a subtle thing. If you're using the Photos app on the Mac and let's say you wanted to I don't know, drag an image uh, out of the app onto your desktop, uh, a few times if there's text in it, what happens is I accidentally just select the text that's in the image that's say on, on like a sign on a, a hiking trail or something like that. And then you get a little confused because there's nothing that really shows, oh, here's some selectable text. It's just selectable. Now, as you said, on the iPhone, it has that little icon in the lower right corner that you tap and that enables the, the selection of, of text. And another thing that I want to point out, at least in my experience, it doesn't even have to be close-up text. It can be faraway text. And it doesn't even have to be, say, left to right, aligned well, uh, anything that you would expect if you were, say, doing a scan of, of something that you wanted to then copy and paste. I've had images that were uh, rotated sideways because the orientation wasn't correct, or the, the surface of what I'm shooting is at an angle, and so there's some perspective issue there, and it grabs the text just fine. It's, it's I dare, I hesitate to say this because it is almost like magic. It is, it is. And Text recognition has improved a great deal in recent years. I use an app called Highlight to um, take photos of pages and books and copy quotes and excerpts from books and things. Mm. And they, I, I guess they were using whatever the built-in text recognition was from a couple years ago when Apple uh, started this. But now it works so much better that you rarely have mistakes. Uh, the only time I have mistakes is certain books I have in French, use a certain font with ligatures, and that kind of throws the text mm. um, recognition off. But it is, it is downright near perfect. And when you select text, it's like you're selecting it in a PDF. It's that smooth. So uh, this also raises the point that you probably don't need to scan documents anymore. You can take photos with your phone. You can print them to PDF from the Photos app on your Mac or from your phone or iPad. So why even use a scanner anymore? <laughs> well, it's funny uh, because when I said scan, mentally, I wasn't even thinking of a scanner, a flatbed scanner or a paper scanner, because there is a mode using the Notes app on your iPhone where you can scan a document. I don't think the Photos app has that, but you end up sort of with the same thing. The, the, the scan document feature of the Notes app, which you can actually just press and hold the Notes icon and bring that up as an option that will give you sort of a a more formal uh you know sheet of paper uh, <laughs> digital paper 
uh, that has all all the the text highlightable. A number of Mac apps allow you to do this from the file menu you choose insert from iPhone or iPad. Mm. And this is actually using the continuity feature, which did we talk about continuity camera yet, where you can use your iPhone as a camera on your laptop? It's an extension of this continuity feature, which has been around for a couple of years, that lets you import uh, graphics from an iPhone or an iPad into a document. Right. So you don't even need to take a picture first, wait for it to sync or airdrop it or anything like that. As long as you have your devices close to each other, you can just let the phone take over to import that image. It's it's surprisingly slick. And I suspect, and this is kind of the theme that we're going for today, it's one of those features that is there and that a lot of people don't even realize that it's possible. And so then they jump through all sorts of hoops of taking a picture and then bringing it into some editing software to make it black and white and you know all of all of this this extra stuff that you don't need to do because the operating system just takes care of it it's slick okay what's next we've got a number of interesting features here yeah so the next thing that i want to highlight is something that apple added in ios 16 and uh macos ventura so the most recent versions and it, it has two parts you can copy the subject of an image. Now, this is something that is is AI-based, and there are apps that you can use to select a subject. We've talked about masking in, in Lightroom that gives you the ability to just select whatever the subject is. So oftentimes, it's like a person or, or, or an item. And, and then you can make different adjustments or whatever, whatever. So we're not going to go down that path. Because what this will do is, if you have a picture of something that is recognizable, mostly we're talking about people. Cats. Cats. I'm sorry. <laughs> cats. It works with cats. It's not perfect because of the fur, <laughs> but it works with cats. Cats are people, right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, and what you can do, and it's, it sounds silly when I tell you this, if, if you don't know about this, you take an image, and on the iPhone, you just touch and hold your finger on the subject. And this can be one person, this can be a group of people. And you'll see a little shimmery animation where they will be outlined by a little white line. And that subject is now selected. And you can drag that to, say, another app. Or uh, when you let go, you can get the option to copy that. And it has done the masking, the selection, it does a really good job in, I would say, I don't know, 75% of the, of the time of making a good selection that, that you can then paste somewhere else. And then the other side of this is you can take that selection and remove the background and create a new image that is just the person and not, say, the distracting trees or buildings or whatever behind them and just have it on a white a white background. And that's that's good for, let's say, you know, product shots or something like that, where you, you just need a quick picture of your iPad or your camera. And there you go. Like, it's already cleaned up. And this is just built into the operating system. Okay, on the Mac, it's a little bit different. You right-click on a photo and you choose copy subject. But how do you get rid of the background? You say... <laughs> Kirk, get rid of the background for me. <laughs> you on. would have to paste it into a new document. You can't even 
do that in photos, you'd have to open preview, for example. Okay, let me see. So copy subject. In fact, I open preview new document and it's already selected. It's already showing my selection uh, in the new document, but you can't get rid of the background in the photos app. So it's a, it's a multi-step process here. And I'm finding that it, it works with a number of things. It works with people, works with cats. It works with a picture of a book, um, works with a picture of my car. So there are a number of places where it does work. Mm-hmm. As you say, certain things are recognized, not everything. And for example, when I did it with a picture of my car, uh, it was in the sun, so there was some shadow on the ground, and that meant that some of the edges weren't perfect. But you're not doing this to get it perfect. You're doing this to get a quick selection of something. If you want perfect, you've got to go another route, like you know, Lightroom, Photoshop, fancy masking and magic brushes and all that sort of stuff. All right, so I'm testing this now, and it looks like I was wrong. You can't do the remove background as cleanly as that. So you have to send that to uh, the preview app or something that would would let you insert the selected, uh, the the copied subject. So uh, everybody, rewind your your brains <laughs> to what I just said, <laughs> because I I thought for sure there was a remove background option. And I know that that's something that, say, Pixelmator does and does it really well with just one one click. But I thought that was in the Photos app and I was wrong. So there we go. Yeah. Well, one thing I just tried is copying a picture of my two cats sitting near each other, copying the subject. And the Photos app was able to get both of the cats uh, without the background. The background's just a simple carpet, so uh, it's not very difficult to find it. The, what's interesting is... When you look at a picture of a cat, you see the fur kind of sticking up, and it actually gets some of that sticking up fur. It's not like drawing a straight mask. Depending on the picture, it's doing a pretty good job. You know what? I'm going to save this photo of the two cats with no background, and we'll put it in the show notes so people can see. Uh, What I find curious about this feature is how often people are going to actually use it, because it's, it's not something that I think comes up a lot where, oh, I suddenly need to copy a subject out of this and maybe, uh, you know, send it to someone in a text. It almost seems like Apple said, hey, we can do this. This technology is here and it really shows off how well our subject recognition is. I don't see a whole lot of practical use for it. I haven't really used it a lot myself, but sometimes things can be there just because they're cool or because they lead to something that's coming down the line. Right, that they're going to do something later, maybe changing the background, changing the sky, that sort of thing that we've mm-hmm. seen in other apps. Yeah, yeah. Or, I, I mean, th- th- this could be the foundation for a feature uh, if they do the uh, the hypothetical AR, VR, glasses, goggles, like all of that kind of stuff. As oftentimes, you'll see things show up that are more important later. But it's cool, right? It's just cool. It is. For us, it's cool to see this, something that in the past would be like a meticulous drawing of masking around something to get a subject out from the background. Yeah. All right. So what's next? So the next one is look up. Certain things you can look up. Now, you see this in iOS and you're going to... I guess I'm not prepared. I don't see how to do this on the Mac. In iOS, let's say if you take a picture of a flower and then you swipe up, you'll maybe see what flower it is. Is that it? Pretty much, yeah. So you swipe up, that gets you information about 
the image. And if there is something in the image, like a flower or an animal or something, uh, you'll see a little icon in the middle. Uh, so if it's a flower or a leaf, you'll see like a little leaf icon. And that indicates that it is doing a little AI lookup to identify what that is. And it's super slick on the phone. And you're right that it's hard to tell. It does show up on the Mac um, if you bring up the info window. Okay. Well, it doesn't work for cats on my phone. In fact, I'm not seeing it with anything on my phone. Wow. Flowers, I'm not seeing. I, I know I've seen it when the iOS 16 first came out, I was seeing it, but I can't find anything. It could just be that the photos I have, this is supposed to work with existing photos, not just new photos. So it should be, okay, here's a photo of a sunflower. Nothing. Hmm. One thing that I'm not sure of, so the photo of the sunflower, did you take that with your iPhone or is that taken with another camera? This was taken with my iPhone 13, the one I'm looking at. Okay. Okay. Because what I'm seeing now, I have an image that I took of some um, fall color leaves uh, at a garden that I was at the other day. And when I open that, so I have that image open in photos on my Mac and I go to window info, which brings up the little floating info panel. And I see a little icon in the middle and I see uh, that little leaf icon. And when I click that, it pops up a little information window share sheet. I don't know what they want to call it. And it says uh, maple plant um, that this is. And and in fact, the picture I was taking was of a, a, I think, a Japanese maple. And so it has identified that and it says, you know, Acer is a genus of trees and shrubs commonly known as maples, blah, blah, blah. And you can get, uh, you know, the, the taxon name, you can then see more on Wikipedia, etc. So it, it is there. My guess is it needs a close-up of a flower or a leaf or a tree or something. Well, my sunflower photo is a close-up, so it really should pick that up. But for whatever reason, it's not working. I know I've seen it on my iPhone a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, that I've used it to like, what is this flower? And I've used the camera app to find it out. Mm-hmm. But I'm not seeing it in photos in the photos app at all. Well, this is odd because, I mean, this very well could just be a a bug that you're not seeing. There was something else that we were looking at earlier that I wasn't seeing that we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, there is that small possibility that there are bugs in the uh in the operating small system. possibility there might be bugs <laughs> well here i'm just going to show you a photo on my iphone this photo of a pumpkin from the field across from my house mm-hmm. it should be able to tell me that this is a pumpkin right i mean i know that it's a pumpkin but if i swipe up it should say hey this is pumpkin genus pumpkin pumpkinus or whatever it should and it doesn't say anything i mean a pumpkin's pretty easy to identify yeah um Maybe it just doesn't like it you. It could be. <laughs> That's not the right answer. Um, it could be. Yeah. Well, let's move on and talk about the thing that wasn't working for you, because I find this mm-hmm. really clever. There are albums in the Photos app that can be password protected. One is the recently deleted album. So when you delete a photo, it goes to the recently deleted album and it stays in there. I believe it's 40 days. If you don't delete your photos it will delete the oldest ones after it looks like 30 days now. So mm-hmm. by default, that's password protected. You can change this in the general settings of the Photos app. 
But the other album which is new is the hidden album, and that is password protected as well. So if you want to hide a photo, you right click on a photo and you choose hide photo. Pretty simple to do that. It will create a hidden album. Now, you weren't able to see that hidden album on your Mac, yet after you hit a photo on your Mac, you saw the hidden album on your iPhone. Exactly. And actually, I think I think the feature for hiding photos and having the hidden album, that's been around for a while. But okay. the the ability to lock it uh, or to have it locked and then unlock it uh, by Face ID or uh, Touch ID or whatever. I think that's the new part. And I'm guessing that's just to prevent people from you know, snooping around your images. Uh, if you have, like, let's say, uh, you know, a, a phone that you frequently hand to somebody or you have an account that maybe someone else has access to on your computer. Um, but But yeah, on my computer... For whatever reason, and I I restarted photos several times. I didn't restart my machine. Uh, the hidden album just doesn't show up. Okay. So before we started this episode, we didn't think we'd have enough to fill up the episode. <laughs> <We're already laughs> this happens. Nearly twenty five minutes here. Is there anything else that's new that we need to talk about? I think we've covered the main features. I think we have. I mean, you know, these are things that are there that maybe people just haven't run into. Um, oh, one last thing that I wanted to talk about, uh, or at least to point to, that is new, that is cool, is that you can have your Photos app scan for duplicates in your library. Right. And that can be very useful. Now, it's not just going to go through and delete anything that it thinks is a duplicate, because that would be terrible. But the way they've implemented this, if you're on your Mac and you're looking at the Photos app, it's now its own category. So you have under the, the photos heading, you have your library and memories and people, et cetera. And now there's just a new, uh, I guess it's kind of like a smart album uh, called Duplicates. And it will show you things that it thinks are duplicates. And this comes up a lot for me. Say if I have, like, for example, I have a, an image that I shot with my iPhone and I shot it as a raw image. And then I exported it as a JPEG somewhere else, and that ended up back in my my library. And so it's the same image, but one is marked as a DNG, and the other one is a JPEG with a really long, you know, photos assigned uh, number of, of of letters. It's the same image, and so that lets me either uh, select one and delete it. Or you can, say, merge two items and they come together in some way. But it's a good way of just being able to go through. You'll have to do some work and actually confirm that these are duplicates. But at least from what I'm seeing in my library, it's actually finding real duplicates, not, say, images in a series that were shot in first. Okay, what I'm seeing is that a number of them are raw JPEG pairs that it's showing as duplicates. Now, Ah, I I did find a bunch of photos, because I hadn't looked at this before just now. I did find a bunch of older photos that had been sent to me by other people where there was one that was like two megabytes and the other was 400K. But other ones I'm seeing raw and JPEG showing up as duplicates. Now, Hmm. you don't really want to necessarily delete any of those because you need to know whether you use the raw or the jpeg file to make your edits yeah when you have a raw jpeg pair 
I think it defaults to JPEG, but you right click, you can use choose raw as original, whatever it is, mm -hmm. and you edit the raw file. So your editing of a raw file is going to be different than editing a JPEG. Right. But that can also be helpful if you import everything from your camera as raw JPEG pairs and you only want to be editing the raws later. And so that, that might be an easy way to, to delete the, um, the JPEG portion of those if you don't need them. Well, you shouldn't import them then. Well, sometimes you can't help it. Well, so, so some of us who, who don't import and then weed out yes. uh, before bringing them into photos run into this issue. In fact, uh, so like with my Fuji X100V, I shoot as raw JPEG, but it only has one memory card slot. So everything goes on, on the, the card. And this is actually an issue in Lightroom that bugs me, that has bugged me since the beginning. Not Lightroom Classic, but the other, the more recent Lightroom. It doesn't differentiate between those. And so I either have to go through the preview window and deselect all the JPEGs or import them all and then delete the JPEGs as a separate step. Right. It's crazy and stupid and, and annoys me. So I will get off of that horse and mention that, <laughs> <laughs> that, and I'll point out that on the iPhone, the way to find the duplicates feature is you go into the Photos app, you tap Albums, and then it shows up at the very bottom under Utilities. And so the Utilities shows Imports, Duplicates, Hidden, like we just mentioned, and Recently Deleted. And so the Duplicates then gives you the same idea, same interface of possible duplicates. Okay, shall we move on to snapshots? I think we should move on to snapshots. What have you got? I have, I'm going to hark back really quickly to uh, an old episode that we'll put in the show notes. We talked to Sandra Cohen, uh, who is a, a portrait photographer here in Seattle. And we talked to her about shooting with uh, external lighting. And she has a Facebook group that I've been a part of. And at some point, somebody asked, how do you transport all your stuff because oftentimes portrait photographers they need to bring light stands and soft boxes and you know just a bunch of equipment especially if they're going out somewhere and this is not something that I've had to deal with very much only very occasionally and I have a like an old heavy bag that I just carry stuff in instead people recommended these collapsible folding outdoor utility wagons which uh, I'm sure I've been around for a while, but I've never really encountered them. And they're kind of brilliant. Um, they're also called garden carts. And basically, you have this collapsible frame and a, a you know, rough fabric uh, bin. I guess bin's the wrong word in the UK, but a middle section that you then put all your stuff in and you can just wheel your gear wherever you need. And then when you're done, you put it in your car and this thing collapses into a fairly compact, flat uh, assembly there. Um, they range in price from, say, $80 to $100, depending on which one you get. They seem to be all generally uh, good. You know, it's Amazon. There are a whole bunch of different manufacturers. But if you are someone who has to carry your photo gear and it's it's stuff that's larger than a backpack, uh, this is the way to do it. Okay, I'm looking up garden carts and I get gardening trolleys, which look like those little red 
wagons we had when we were kids. <laughs> well, it's except they're green. <laughs> it's it's basically that idea, uh, just with a a clever collapsible frame. Okay. Yeah. People who do this for a living swear by them, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take their recommendation. What do you have this week? You mentioned a TV series before we started recording. What was it called? The Bear. The Bear, about a restaurant in Chicago. And I haven't seen it, but it reminded me of a film that I did see maybe a year, a year and a half ago. And the reason I'm picking this as a snapshot is the way the film was made. It's called Boiling Point. It stars Stephen Graham. It's about someone in a fancy restaurant, and it's just shy of 90 minutes, and it's one single shot. Now, we talk about still photography. We don't talk about video, but anyone who does any video at all knows how difficult that is. On top of that, apparently, they were planning to record eight takes of the film and then choose the best. They were only able to record four because they were recording this in, I think, March 2020, just before lockdown. So the day before lockdown, they had just finished the fourth take, which is the one they used. And they released it like that. Now, what's fascinating is it's very hard to do one take. If you know Alfred Hitchcock's movie Rope, which is a stage play where it looks like one take, but basically there's two cameras side by side. So they would switch when the camera ran out of film. Um, You can film something in the theater with a single camera. It's entirely possible. But to do it Mm -hmm. in a movie, in particular with a Steadicam moving around from outside the restaurant to inside the restaurant to back rooms is extremely difficult. The choreography is impressive. If you see the film, you'll notice that there are scenes of action and then a character goes in a back room for a while and the camera follows them. So that lets them reset everything in the restaurant proper. So it's very clever the way it's done. Um, The title should give you an idea that it's not a fun film. It will fill you with anxiety (laughs) by the end as the character reaches the boiling point. But it's I'm fascinated by these one shot things. And there aren't a lot of films like that. Uh, Just as an aside, I mentioned to you the series Goliath with Billy Bob Thornton on Amazon. And I watched the fourth and final season last week. And I think it was in episode four. Uh, You have the brief intro, open title, and then you've got stuff going on. And after a couple minutes, I said, wait a second, what's happening here? And I rewound. It was a five-minute Steadicam shot going through the offices, following one character as it went back and forth. And there's something about it that that clicks a box in your mind when you see this, because you're used to edits. You're used to, you know, cameras cutting over the shoulder when two people are talking. I find it fascinating in terms of the composition necessary, because not only are you filming people, but you're composing each second of that in in the type of composition we talk about in still photography. So Boiling Point with Stephen Graham, that's the movie, and Goliath, uh, if you've seen it, episode four starts about two and a half minutes, goes to about seven and a half. Yeah, I have not seen Boiling Point. I want to, because another thing that that impresses me with these these feats is... Not only is it an entire shot, an entire sequence, especially drawn out over a feature-length movie time, but you're still on a set and you still have lights and lighting and gear and to be able to move the camera around so that you don't turn around and see a giant scrim or a softbox or or whatever. Um, It's funny, The Bear has an episode, and I'm not going to say too much about it, but it has an episode that is also shot as a, as a oneer as they call them and sometimes in a lot of movies this is a gimmick and you're impressed you're like wow that was a really great opening shot wow but it, that kind of pops you out of the movie 
And this one with the bear, I didn't realize until after the episode was over. And it's a you know, super intense episode and there's a lot that goes on. And I then realized, oh my gosh, that was all done in one take. So when it works... And so you had to go watch it again. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely had to go watch it again. <laughs> and so when it works the best is when you don't notice it and then you realize it because you just have that heightened sense of there hasn't been any breaks. There aren't any you know, pauses, even when they're, like you said, cuts. It's, it's really impressive. The, the thing about Boiling Point is it adds to the anxiety in the film. You can't catch your breath. Mm-hmm. You don't even want to press pause to go to the bathroom because watching the film, we knew beforehand that it was a single shot. So if you're yeah. not aware of it, it might be different, but we're prepared for that. And you can't, it, it just pulls you along. Fascinating stuff. Anyway. Yeah. Go watch Boiling Excellent. Point. You'll enjoy it. Sounds great. Thank you for watching Photoactive video. (laughs) (laughs) The photoactive film review. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right, everybody. Until next time. All right. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.